All right, everybody, welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Trubosser. And we are here celebrating a 1-0 TCU football team 45-3 victory over Duquesne. Uh, pretty nice win overall. We're going to get into uh, a little bit of that victory in just a minute. Um, but Melissa, first, before we get into anything really intense, uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, it's a very important question. Um, yes, the Cowboys are going to lose to Tom Brady tomorrow That night. is... Okay. Now... <laughs> First of all, that totally derailed everything. We're just gonna we're done now. That's this has been the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Like and subscribe. Um, No, the first of all, the Cowboys are not going to lose. They're not going to lose. They're going to beat Tampa Bay because Tom Brady is confused by the new numbers jersey system. Apparently, okay, Um, okay, that's good to know. And I can tell by his comments that he's nervous. And he's setting this up to be the excuse as to why he throws like five interceptions on Thursday night. Okay. Um, Freezing takes exposed. If you're listening. No, no, no. I'm right. I, I am right. Um, I totally forgot the question that I was going to ask you now. So we're just going to co- go ahead and move right on into the, the breakdown of the uh, TCU victory on Saturday night over Duquesne, 45 to three over the Dukes. Melissa, uh, it's an FCS school. It's game one warm-up of the season. Um, what can Frog fans take away from a game like this win over Duquesne? That we're glad we're not Washington. I mean, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of the thing is that there's scheduling these games. I know people have thoughts about that. But then there's also you can lose these games. Um, and TC didn't. And, in fact, they looked incredibly dominant, um, you know, before – Duquesne even had a first down. I think the Frogs had four touchdowns on the board or something. Um, They looked like they should look against an inferior opponent. Uh, They did what they were supposed to do. They looked professional. They looked engaged. They looked ready to play. Um, The offense showed some great things. And Max, outside of one mistake that just kind of looked like a, "Eh, let's see if this team is that bad interception. Um, He looked like a quarterback that was ready to roll. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that what you take away is nobody got hurt. Um, TC dominated from soup to nuts, and it was great to see the Carter rocking again. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, no injuries is the biggest thing. A win, obviously, is another big thing. Um, that you got so many young guys playing time is really good to see, especially when you're talking about, we're going to get into this a little bit later, uh, some depth issues maybe at cornerback. Uh, some questions about who's going to be up, uh, able to play uh, at safety. Um, it's always good to get uh, some experience under your belt, even if it is against an FCS school. So 1-0, a win over Duquesne. It is what it is. Like you said, we're not Washington. We didn't lose to Montana. Um, we're not even you know Baylor, who struggled with Texas State or, uh, you know. Don't do it. Don't bring them up. Don't, don't release the hounds from Ames. Don't do it. I mean, Iowa State did struggle with Northern Iowa. Um, that is what it is. Iowa State seems to always struggle with in-state schools. They're going to get another chance this upcoming weekend. A little bit of a bigger stage uh, to play another in-state school. Um, we'll pick top that game. Ten, top 10 game it is between the first, Iowa and Iowa State for game day. It is the first Cyhawk matchup where both teams are ranked in the history of that matchup. 
and they are both top 10 in game days going. So It's going to be fun. It's going to be a I'm, fun one out in Iowa. I was tempted to go. I'll be completely right? honest with you. I was tempted I to go up there too. for that. That yeah. scene would be absolutely nuts. Um, but, you know, it's 1-0. Uh, there's not, you know, in our preview last week, we even said there's not much to say other than just get out, get healthy, get the win. And the Frogs checked that. Check those boxes. Um, so it's it's really nice just to know that it's one down and 11 to go uh, to get to uh, where TCU wants to go this season. And, you know, that's pretty much the Duquesne game in a nutshell. Yeah, completely agree. I think that's all you need to say. So we're going to break down in just a little bit on the this episode of the Frogs War Podcast, uh, Gary Patterson's midweek comments from his press conference on Tuesday. We're also going to give a pretty in-depth preview on TCU's upcoming contest against Cal at 2.30 on Saturday at the Carter. But first, I want to touch on some conference realignment stuff because some news has happened between the last episode of the podcast and this one uh, and some more uh, news developed just a couple hours before we hit record on this show. Um, and that is that uh, the Big 12 has made some headway on expansion. They've narrowed it down to four candidates, uh, and it looks like uh, invitations are going to go out to those candidates uh, at the end of this week, maybe by Friday. I see that the, um, the presidents are of the Big 12 are all meeting uh, on Friday to discuss uh, extending invitations and voting on teams and that kind of thing. So, uh, the four teams being BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. Melissa, when you hear those four schools, what kind of reaction does that elicit from you just generally? Well, I think, I don't know if I can give you just a general reaction, but when I think about in context and, and where things could have been and where things are, um, I'm excited. I think it's a great football conference. I'm a little disappointed that Memphis isn't in the mix there. Um, that probably is the one team that I felt like um, maybe should have should have been invited, but um, I'm super excited about Cincinnati. They're already working on a rivalry with Iowa State over black who wears black uniforms, which I think is delightful. Uh, that was a little Twitter spat it's earlier great. today. Um, I, you know, I, I have issues with BYU in a lot of ways, but, um, from a, what they bring to a conference, both in market and eyeballs, finances, um, and, and quality athletics, uh, there's, there's some positive there. Um, the, the non-athletics related stuff is, is concerning, but, uh, we've, we've been knowing as the kids say who BYU is. Um, I think UCF is, is one of the largest universities in the country with 71,000 undergrads, a uh, great environment. The bounce house was popping for Boise State uh, in their opener like that. That looks like that's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, of course, Houston, um, <laughs> maybe I would have liked to see them swapped out for Memphis at this point. Um, not have a lot of faith in, in Dana and in, uh, Houston going forward, but uh, they do bring a market. They, they do open up some fertile recruiting ground for some other schools. So um, I, I think the potential is outstanding um, with adding those four teams to replace Texas and Oklahoma. It's not going to be the same conference, but there were reports that they expect their media rights deal to be better than the Pac-12s when it's all said and done. And if you're telling me that these schools are going to pull down 20 plus million annually in, in a grant of rights, I'm going to feel pretty good about that if I'm any of those eight remainders. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get the 35, 36 that you've been getting with Texas and Oklahoma, but as long as that number doesn't drop into the teens, um, mm -hmm. that that's where you're starting to talk about a, a very incredible financial impact on all of these remaining institutions. I, I, you know, I think when we talk about these four teams, I'm very excited about Central Florida and Cincinnati and BYU. 
Um, obviously, like you said, BYU has its issues. We know what they are. Um, I'm glad that TCU will be playing them again. I've missed that rivalry mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you get into, all right, who should the fourth team be? They've obviously settled on Houston. The other options being probably South Florida and Memphis and Boise State. Um, academically, just Boise State's not not there with these other universities. And athletically, be, tell me who the number two program is for Boise State behind football. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, a, a lot of TCU folks who read our stuff have been commenting about how they wish Boise State gets an invite. Uh, and it's just Boise State's not going to get an invite from the Big 12 uh, anytime. It's just not going to happen yeah. um, because they don't have the depth of athletic program and they don't have the academic standards to to get get them there. That's just yeah. the 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 way it is with Boise State. Uh, with South Florida, I think you know if you look at Central Florida and South Florida, and you say, all right, we we want one. Um, we want a presence in Florida. We want someone who's you know achieved uh, athletically. Uh, then you know, Central Florida obviously kind of gets the nod over South Florida there. Um, you know, if it's going to be Houston or Memphis, um, you know, I guess it's up to the rest of the conference to say, do we want that fourth Texas school? Do we want to kind of maintain the Houston uh, market? Or are we willing to kind of let all of South Texas go and expand a little bit more into SEC country with Memphis? Um you know, I think trajectory-wise, Memphis might look like they're on the up a little bit more football and basketball-wise than than Houston is, but Houston still has an insanely good basketball program. They've got yeah. a head coach who knows how to recruit in the Big 12 already for football. Um, you know, and again, marketplace plays the biggest um, is the biggest factor of all of it. And yeah. so, you know, you, you look at Houston versus Memphis as cities as tv sets and houston has way more so it's kind of where kind of where that lands i I think i think you're absolutely right i mean at the end of the day they're gonna they're gonna pick the bigger city um and and the 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 better market and the texas school is gonna win over the tennessee school it just is Mm -hmm. uh when you're losing you know kind of the flagship university in texas um could argue that maybe UTSA would have been a better choice, but it's either here or there. Or there. And Houston is a really great academic school too. Um, mm-hmm. I would have loved Memphis basketball, but Houston basketball is no slouch by any stretch of the no, imagination. Definitely not. So, yeah, I mean, I think this makes a lot of sense. What I'm interested in from here, um, I was reading on Twitter, and it might have been Mandel or Olson, I can't remember who, um, but said that there's never in history of realignment year seasons uh that a team has played more than one year as a lame duck member of a conference and so while texas and oklahoma could put a wrench into things when it comes to accelerating the addition of these two programs more than likely it looks like um these four schools will join the conference as as early as 2023 and that texas and oklahoma will exit that same year, I am sure that there could be something done uh, in the current media deal by ESPN to maybe make that um, work a little bit, maybe a little bit less painful. Um, the rest of the teams have absolutely no reason to bargain with Texas OU, and, and they shouldn't. Mm-mm. But there may be a way to make things make sense for everybody financially uh, in the short term in order to expedite uh, Texas and OU leaving and expedite these other four universities joining um, without there being too much in the way of sacrificing finances. So that to me is going to be the next interesting step. I think it's all but a done deal. Just what the timeline for that deal is remains to be seen. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and I think, too, it's important to note that the bylaws that are currently in existence for the Big 12 say that three-quarters of the um, uh, conference uh, members have to vote to approve an invitation going out to another school. So even if Texas and Oklahoma both voted no, which they have no business or no reason to vote no um, on expansion, even if they wanted to to screw around like that, uh, as long as the other eight teams were all uh, in agreement, any kind of vote on expansion would pass no matter what. Yeah, And it seems these... These teams are in lockstep, which is kind of impressive. Yeah, it really is. Because they have no other choice. <laughs> no, these these eight uh, universities have really shown a united front to this point. Uh, obviously, there's probably been some backdoor conversations, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, depending on which Big 12 school you're talking about. But um, from the bylaws perspective, getting these four teams into the Big 12 doesn't seem like it's going to be an issue at all. The question, like you've pointed out, is what happens with Texas and Oklahoma's exit? Is there going to be compensation there? What happens to the TV contract? All of this stuff that's really still up in the air. But what I think is, as far as I can tell, expanding, unless ESPN says we're going to renegotiate the contract, the TV contract, once you expand, um, there is no conference bylaw that says, all right, these teams are being added, so that means a team trying to leave is released from their grant of rights or anything like that. So these these are still yeah. two separate and distinct conversations that are being had. One is we're adding four teams. It looks like it's BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. The next conversation is Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. How much are they paying us to leave early? Um, and while they're happening concurrently, they don't, necessarily one's not essentially triggering the other one um it's not one has to happen then or there's no if then kind of situation happening here uh which makes it a really kind of interesting it makes bob bowlsby's job really interesting because i'm sure he would love to have a 14 team conference for a couple of years Mm -hmm. um and make texas and oklahoma play these new schools Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of times uh let them get their feet wet get paid um you know that kind of stuff um but it's going to, you know, it's just another layer to this whole conference realignment thing that makes me kind of interested to see how it all plays out. Well, and I think, too, just the, ultimately the thing is, is in light of everything that we think we know, this is the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the, the conference. I mean, look, everybody looked around and they should have. Everybody realized there's really nowhere else for us to go. Fine. Like, that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they said, hey, we can say this thing. And they made some quick, decisive moves to do so. Now, had they made these moves four years ago, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation potentially. But at the end of the day, um, I think they they bailed enough water out of the ship to keep it floating. Um, It might look a little bit differently, but there is absolutely an argument for this to be an autonomy conference, for this this to remain a Power 5 conference, for it to remain having a guaranteed seat at the playoffs. I think that you can argue, and I'm just trying really hard to give you that beautiful segue into our next thing, and I think I'm doing a decent enough job Mm -hmm. here, but that you can argue that that from a football perspective, um, this is – as good or better a conference top to bottom than it's been over the past several seasons because let's be honest texas has added nothing to the table when it comes to play on the field oklahoma leaving has got to be exciting for the tcus and the oklahoma states and the iowa states of the world and you can you can argue that cincinnati can come in day one and be relatively competitive um so you're looking at a, at a program that might not have an elite blue chip team but has a lot of really damn good ones. Um, it's going to be good football. It's going to be competitive football. And it's going to be a team that comes out of it every year that can compete, I think, on a national level, at least as well as Texas and Oklahoma have. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the Big 12's record in college football playoff games, and it's only Oklahoma, and they've never won, right? So it can't get any worse for the Big 12 when it comes to kind of that national brand of college football at the highest level. Um, I do think that uh, your segue was brilliant. You're teeing it up perfectly. Um, my question is, is like if when we start to talk about all these, is the Big 12 still a Power 5 conference or what, you know, what's going to happen with bull tie-ins and all this other stuff? I mean, if they're saying it a Power 5, then yeah, the Big 12 is still a Power 5 conference. It, it's whether or not they're going to go to like a Power 4 situation yeah. and all of these bowl realignments change. But at that same, uh, on the same kind of note, would the Sugar Bowl rather have the second best Big 12 team or the fourth best Big 10 team showing up in New Orleans? Um you know, I guess those are the kinds of questions that we're going to need to start considering uh, once the Big 12 contract ends in 2025, because, uh, you know, after that, all, all bets are off, in my opinion. But the yeah, question no, absolutely. The, the, the question that you kind of hinted at is definitely where I want to go next. You have the new Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC. Uh, we'll do this in a couple different categories. We're going to start with off the field, um, just kind of like brand appeal. Rank those three conferences first to last as far as like the brand appeal of those conferences. This this is a tough one because you've got two Los Angeles schools and so you think in theory mm -hmm. that the Pac-12 has the advantage, but as someone who lives on the West Coast in the state of California, Nobody cares unless USC is competing at an elite level, which I'm talking winning the Pac-12, winning major bowl games, going to the postseason. Nobody cares about college football in this state. Even UCLA, who looks really, really good this year, I don't necessarily know that this is going to be that's going to move the needle all that much. And so I think the Pac-12, from a from a national perception, from a from an investment standpoint is the bottom of that list it has the potential to be better but people haven't it is california is a pro sports town it just is or, or pro sports state um so to me that's the bottom if you look at the acc I, again i just i think that it's that coastal elitism that doesn't value college athletics and college football specifically the same way that the midwest and the south does um I would say the ACC probably has the edge, probably goes ACC, new Big 12, Pac-12. Um, but I think to me, it's a little bit of a toss-up. Interesting. Because I think when I think of brands, I think of Oregon as a brand um, and, uh, and USC, regardless of level of fan interest, thinking of you know, kind of TV contract interest, um, I think of Oregon, I think of USC, UCLA. Uh, well, if you okay, if you right. go if you go blue blood, sure, right, like that's yeah. the ultimate. Like, mm -hmm. is Oregon a blue blood? I don't know what the latest standard for blue blood is. I think they're closer to blue blood than anybody in the new Big Twelve. Um, yeah, they're they're new they're new money blue blood. Because as long the, as yeah. they have Phil, Phil Knight, Knight. Nike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think I think from that kind of perspective, that kind of brand, like how big is the brand perspective of members? I would say. I would say it's Pac-12, ACC, New Big 12, and they're not far apart. Um, but when you I have guess. big brands like Clemson 
uh, or for basketball, Florida, Duke, Florida North Carolina, State. Florida State. You know, well, if we're gonna oh, if we're um, gonna put basketball into the mix. Well, I mean, see, I'm talking about I'm talking about yeah, overall brand of of the universities, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, I think it, when you're talking from an individual brand perspective, I think the Pac-12 has the biggest brands than the ACC, than the new Big 12. I don't think it's as far as people might make it out to be. Um, but in, in in the branding category, that's that's my order that I'm going with. I know yours is a little bit different. But if we well, shift, okay. if we shift though to on-field football performance, rank those three conferences. Okay. So okay, and and I think now I, I think I, I I took the question your first question a different direction. I was gotcha. wrong. No, I, I think yeah, I I, th- I think I have to I have to eat crow on that one because um, yeah, there's really not an elite brand in the Big Twelve. Without Texas and Oklahoma, that's the argument, right? Right, but, right. Yeah. Um, okay, but if you go for strictly on the field football only performance, I mean the Pac-12 is last, and it's not close. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like I said, UCLA looks like they're going to be a pretty good team. USC potentially. I mean, we haven't really seen them tested much, but um, they obviously are good. But outside of that, is there another team in that conference that concerns you if you have to play them? I mean, I, I mean, guess no, I guess you'd say Oregon. Because, but Oregon almost knows? lost their opener. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what they are. Um, Stanford looked awful. Washington looked awful. California lost their opener. Arizona I mean, lost. Arizona yeah. Utah, I mean, maybe. Colorado didn't look particularly good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's ugly. Um, the ACC, if Clemson is taking a small step back, I mean, Miami got torched. And mind you, it was Bama, so whatever, but... Um, Here's a, Virginia Tech, I guess, was impressive. I guess this is kind of a side question: Who's when? Who has the most impressive ACC win after Week One? Virginia Tech. And what's the second most impressive team? Is it Florida State's loss? I, I think it's probably still Clemson because they played an elite team close. But mm. I don't. I think if you're the rest, if you're competing with Clemson then you're probably looking at them and going this is more vulnerable than they've looked in the last half decade right um but Florida State yeah I guess but I Notre Dame no one's more criminally overrated annually other than Texas and Notre Dame they're the same program in different states so um so those yeah but but look if you if you were telling me that TC was going to play Clemson or Florida State next week I'm more concerned if they're playing Clemson oh sure yeah I yeah, yeah okay I can agree with that I can agree with that so but yeah but, but if you look at the new big 12 I mean if you're Texas Tech, maybe Houston's garbage, but that's still a solid win on the road. Um, you know, Kansas State took it to a Pac-12 team, and, and could have it could have been worse than it was. Um, you know, Iowa State, we know they'll be better than they are. Oklahoma State, we know they'll be better than they are. Um, there's not really an impressive win, I guess, amongst the Big 12, but I'd still say, you know, if you match them up um, game to game, then I'm probably more excited about the Big 12's future than the Pac-12's future this season. Yeah, I think I'm there. I think when you include Cincinnati in the conversation, as good as they've been the last couple of years, obviously a top 10 team right now. Iowa State is a top 10 team right now. Um, of those three conferences, there's only one that has multiple teams in the top 10. Um, you know, And so for me, on the field football performance right now, it would probably go new Big 12, ACC, Pac-12, far, far, far behind yeah. the other yeah. two. Um, I completely agree. And then the third category is kind of everything else. Uh, whether you want to talk about uh, basketball, um, non-revenue sports, uh, location, 
um, all this other kind of stuff. Just what uh, what is best about all of the kind of miscellaneous stuff from these conferences and how would you rank them that way? I think ACC is first. Um, okay. I think that they have more elite academic institutions. Pac-12 is probably close in that regard. Um, but, you know, I think if you, if Stanford is, is when you talk about non-revenue sports, uh, they're the best annually, except for last year when Texas won, but they'd won like 30 something champions cups or something like that. Um, but, uh, just as, as far as football just really weighs them down. Um, I think that the new big 12 has a chance to be second. If you include basketball, which is going to be super fun and super elite and you include baseball, um, which is which continues to be excellent, but I think the the ACC, if you added basketball, if you add in locations, and if you add in um, just the academics, I think that's enough to carry them over some of the non-revenue sports. Um, I think the Big Twelve barely, well, if you if you put location into it, the Pac-12 runs away with it. But um, <laughs> if that's not the only factor, um, then I think the Big Twelve probably edges out the Pac-12 uh, for second place, and the Pac is last again. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think basketball wise it's ACC, Big 12, Pac-12. I think non-revenue sports wise um probably ACC, Pac-12, Big 12. Uh, other than baseball. I mean, if we want to make baseball its own category, then I would say Big 12. Yeah. ACC, Pac-12. Um because even without Texas in the mix, you still have three teams that are pretty much capable any year of reaching the college world series in Oklahoma state, Texas yeah. tech and TCU. Uh, yeah. We talk about Baylor, maybe on the, on the come up again, West Virginia is always kind of in the mix. Kansas state looked decent this last year as well. Um, you know, it's, it's a really, really strong sport for the big 12 uh, Cincinnati baseball is decent. Houston baseball is fine. Um, you know, BYU hasn't ever, or central Florida. I don't think I've ever made any noise in, in, in yeah. baseball, but um, uh, I would say a uh, kind of overall miscellaneous category, though probably uh, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, in in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, if, but if we're separating out basketball, then that shifts, and same with same with yeah. baseball as well. Well, if you base it on locations, the Big 12 is so far last. What are you talking it's about? Pac-12, ACC, Big 12 for sure. Without Man- question, Manhattan, Kansas is great. It's almost like Manhattan Beach or Manhattan, True. New York. Mm-hmm. They all have a Manhattan. Oh, man. I don't know what's going on there. Um, We're going to take a quick break, though, and then we're going to come back and we're going to get into Gary Patterson's press conference comments from the middle of this week and our Cal preview. All right. Hashtag ad is complete. Melissa, Gary met with the media again on Tuesday, as is his custom during the football season, Uh, and it was a pretty tame uh, press conference save for really two kind of items of business. The first one being uh, right after the Duquesne game, Patterson mentioned three players, uh, Noah Daniels, uh, Deshaun McQuinn and Terrell Cooper as all uh, kind of leaning towards uh, being available for Cal. Um, And as of Tuesday now, uh, there was no update on Noah Daniels and Deshaun McQuinn, uh, a cornerback and a safety um, how much does that non-update concern you uh, going into this final game? I am so concerned about Noah Daniels. Okay. Um, I feel like all we've done is talk about how worried we are that he's not going to play, and all he's done is not play. Um, I was encouraged to see him on the sideline Saturday night. That means that he's not been separated from the team, that he's mm-hmm. not 
and the type of trouble that keeps him off uh, away from the team. And that right. that's good. If he was really raised in hell, then Gary Patterson would not let him on the sideline period. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen that in the past, right? We know that. So um, I, I think that, that Deshaun McQueen's obviously like a super talented player, but there's depth at safety. If he's out longer than anticipated, I'm not worried about that yet. Um, I'd like to get him back, but I don't necessarily think that that's hurting us. But the depth of the cornerback is so concerning. And God bless CJ Caesar did not play particularly well Saturday night. Um, the fortunes for this team with no Daniels and Travis Hodges Tomlinson starting 10 games is very different than the fortunes for this team with THD and CJ Caesar, Caesar starting, you know, 12 games. So, um, and, and if there's an injury, uh, I, I just think that that unit is is really, really toast. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, with Keontae uh, Jenkins and Donovan Collins backing up Caesar, I don't know if, if Patterson trusts either of them to get the majority of the snaps. But when you look ahead to SMU and Texas and going forward, um, there's not another guy on this roster that I would feel super confident lining up opposite Tomlinson um, for significant snaps against those offenses. Getting Keon Stewart back would be huge um, so that there's some true competition between him and Caesar. But right now, um, I just kind of want to know what's going on. And mm-hmm. I want to know how, how much I should be thinking about what the future is uh, for Noah Daniels or if I just need to we just need to drop it and move on because we've, we've seen these things drag out for weeks and months and entire seasons before. Yeah, we have. And, and that's my concern at this point is that we're just not going to get updates until November, December. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he's graduated and it's a non-story again. Um, we've gotten a lot of comments on the website saying, hey, why don't you guys figure out what's going on with Noah Daniels? And yeah, we're trying. Um, but when a, a situation like this arises, um, not many people are willing to talk about it, and rightfully so from a TCU perspective. You you want to keep uh, you want to keep all that information in house, um, you know. And I I personally cannot blame them for that. We're we're doing our best over here, but uh, you know that is what it is. And I, I agree with you on the concern. Uh, I, I said it I think in our group chat the other day. Um, I am worried about the state of this secondary if Noah Daniels isn't playing by the time we get to the SMU game. Um, I, I am very concerned about the passing abilities of SMU in Texas. Obviously, Oklahoma is a downfield threat. Iowa State can throw the ball a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma State's offense is based on throwing the ball. Baylor's offense is based on throwing the ball. Like This is going to be a long season if Noah Daniels isn't on the field. Um, and it feels weird to say that about one specific player, but I think that it just kind of, um, I mean, that's the case simply because of what I perceive and what you perceive as a pretty big talent gap between Noah Daniels and the guys behind him on the depth chart. Um, things things aren't, I, I agree with your sentiment of, of uh, TCU season looks very different if Noah Daniels doesn't play. I, I just yeah. I, I fully agree with that. Yeah, and and I you know it's it's not that one guy we we've seen this before is that TCU has an elite player that misses the entire season for one reason or another, and people are like, well, there's enough to cover. It, to me, this was the only position where we I felt like losing a starter could completely they could cost us three wins, mm-hmm. and and losing a player of Noah's caliber if, he, if we lost a safety or a defensive lineman or or really anywhere else, I think there's enough talent behind him, but we just haven't seen the next guy step up mm-hmm. across from, from Tomlinson. And if that doesn't happen, then 
that becomes a very, very concerning thing for TCU. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. On the positive side of updates, though, Patterson did say that Terrell Cooper and Wes Harris and two other offensive linemen were back as and, and practicing and are expected to, to play in the Cal game. So that is some good news on the trenches front. Um, you know, you had Coy McMillan, uh, playing in place of Wes Harris at right guard against Duquesne. Uh, you want your number ones moving forward, though, and so Wes being healthy is a good thing. Terrell Cooper being back at defensive tackle is also going to be huge for defensive line depth, even though Earl Barquette uh, and Corey Bethley seem to be the number ones on the inside of the line for the Frogs right now. Um, so it, all things lines considered seem to be in pretty good shape right now, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's hard to take a whole lot from an FCS game, but the offensive line looked like they were controlling the line of scrimmage all night, and that's what they should do. But getting Wes Harris back, um, if he stays healthy this season, I, I get really excited about the potential of this line. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that Obina EZ is, is everything we hoped he would be, not just from a, a player, but from a leadership standpoint and just a knowledge of how to play football at that level. Like, the kid is legit, um, and he adds a huge, huge – presence to that line both physically and i think in the mental part of the game um i was i was encouraged by coy mcmillan's play i know he struggled at center but he looks like he's a pretty solid guard um and so i don't i don't know if it'll it'll be him or um john i think i'm assuming that that uh west harris will take john lance's spot um and and not coy's but uh you know steve avila was uh, i think the remington uh, award-winning player of the week he graded out the highest in both uh pass pro and run blocking of any center in the country last week. So um, if you're telling me that you're going to anchor that line with with uh, Coy McMillan, who's played a lot of football, and Steve Avila, who has looked outstanding, um, and uh, Obina Easy, who's been great, and then you're going to throw a guy like like Harris in the mix too. Um, four out of the five spots are so really, really good about, and I think that fifth spot um, will be just fine. You know, so, so yeah, I'm excited. And the defensive line, you know, and I've seen a lot of people say, well, we didn't see him get a lot of sacks. He didn't get a lot of pressure. But as you and I talked about after the game today, that there's a good shot that that was Gary to say we've already knocked out two quarterbacks and not necessarily needing to knock a guy down to get their point across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, we didn't see much diversity from TCU's defense in the second half. It's not that they weren't trying. It's just that let's get our base defenses nailed down. Let's make sure that we know yeah. where we're going and who we're covering in these situations, uh, especially when you've got a lot of backups in the game. That's a really good opportunity uh, just to get them comfortable yeah. with your base. Uh, Play the lines. And, and, you know, just do what you got to do. Get, you know, get the simple calls in, make sure that they're doing the play, ma- making smart plays, getting where they need to be, that kind of stuff. Um, you don't need to get as complex as you would with an Oklahoma uh, when you're playing Duquesne. You just don't. Um, that being said, though, things do take a step forward as far as competition goes for TCU. This upcoming Saturday at 2.30 in the Carter, they are hosting Cal Berkeley, UC Berkeley, the Golden Bears, for a cheese Bowl 2.0. Yes. If you will, um, you can watch the full cheese bowl, I believe, at Frogs War YouTube channel. So if you want to do that, go for it. Um, relive that magic. Melissa, Cal is 0 1. They lost to Nevada 
in week one, 22 to 17. We've heard multiple times from Gary Patterson at this point uh, that Cal's defense is really good. This might be the best defense TCU faces all year. Um, you know, he says stuff like that relatively frequently. You've done your Cal research. You've written a, qu- a quick look on Cal already this week. Tell me uh, what can TCU fans expect from Cal on Saturday? I'm really, really excited to see one area, and that is Cal's defensive front against the TCU running game. Um, and I think Max gave us just a little bit of information, insight into the plan. Um, it it might have been you that asked him about not need, not running the ball a whole lot about Duquesne and, you know, what, what was he going to do this season as the plan to, to keep him um, from having to do that more often. But, you know, he said it's going to totally depend on what the defense is doing as the defense is king on the running backs, and that might open up opportunities for me. And I think Saturday is one of those games. Um, they're going to look on film and they're going to see these four running backs each bringing a different skill set to the table and probably look to slow down Zach Evans and company. Um, And so that might open up some lanes for Max. Um, I do expect them to have five, five, seven design runs um, or at least uh, some, some, uh, um, uh, what's the word? This is the thing I talk about. Options. Like a zone read. Yeah. Thank you. It was was really complicated terms in college football that we don't use out very often. So, you know, you can understand why I couldn't pull that one out. Um, So, yeah, I think there could be a lot of those opportunities. Um, I I really want to see what this defensive front does against Chase Garbers and an offensive line that struggled against Nevada, too. Um, I I think that's going to be really interesting. Garbers is approaching, I think I wrote my Q&A with Cal, that he's um, approaching Perry Ellis territory insofar as he feels like he's been at Cal forever playing quarterback. Um, And he has. It's like his fifth season. So um, I think he was on the team for the Cheez-It Bowl. He might be the last man standing from that game on either team which is or maybe Corey Bethley Corey, was Corey Bethley too, right? I, yeah. I went back and I rewatched the cheese it bowl yesterday and Corey oh, Bethley was in the mix yep stirring things up yeah alongside Ben Banigou who I miss oh, so good missing so much mm-hmm. so yeah so so that to me is going to be um just a lot of fun those are the two things is, is what does Cal's defensive line do against the offensive line and the running game of PCU and what does TCU's defensive line and, and linebacking for do against um, an offensive line that that cut some some good runs loose but it's Chase Garber is not a mobile dude and uh I have a feeling that we're going to hear O'Shawn Mathis looked really frustrated a lot Saturday night at not being able to eat somebody. Uh, <laughs> I think I think our man is going to feast uh, Saturday afternoon in Fort Worth. I hope so. You know, I think I think the heat is going to be a big factor too for mm-hmm. this Cal team. I know that uh, we say uh, that a lot for teams that come to Texas, and it's like, oh, the heat's going to be a factor, and blah blah blah. It's, it seems kind of like a stereotype at this point, but uh, when you see what happened to Duquesne for a night game uh guys were cramping up a lot of guys went down with injury their head coach said that the heat played a major factor uh you know tcu has been practicing in this august and september heat uh all summer long all fall camp um and it's supposed to be really really hot on saturday uh and i wonder how much that impacts especially cal's cal's front seven on defense uh you know those big guys gotta rotate a lot when it's hot out um, especially along the defensive line. So I think we're going to see uh, Cal's line depth tested on Saturday. And if that's the case and their depth doesn't hold up, then I feel really, really good about TCU's offensive chances in this game of putting up yeah. some good numbers. On the other 100%. side of the ball, on the other side of the ball, you know, 
that Cal team only put up 17 points against Nevada. Um, I, I don't think they're a very potent offense. Um, and, you know, TCU's defense, regardless of whether or not Noah Daniels is playing, uh, has enough dudes, I think, to to really limit what the Bears are capable of doing. You need a cough assist there, bud? <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't hurt. I didn't feel like I needed to cough. Just all of a sudden, I sounded like a frog. So that was good. Go yeah. frogs. Go frogs. Really, you're really taking this deep. I'm um, fully, fully transforming into a human frog because my fandom for TC runs so deep. That, is that serious? Yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, no, no, I think you're right. I think, I think this is this is a, a kind of impotent offense for Cal. They're not known for their offense. Never really have been outside of Marshawn Lynch years, but um, and, and a little bit of a was it was it Davis, the Texas Tech quarterback that had one good season for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but otherwise, isn't yeah, that where Aaron Rodgers went to college too? Um, it is where Aaron Rodgers went to college. So 15, 17 years ago, uh, Cal had a pretty good quarterback. Nice. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about what they're going to do on offense, especially if the TC defense plays like it is. And, and frankly, I think Gary Patterson is way overselling this defense too. They're good. They're solid. Um, they, they can be effective. They scheme well. They're well coached. They're fundamentally sound. They're not going to shut down the TCU offense unless things go really, really wrong for Max Duggan in the offensive line. That's good to know. That's good to hear. Um, I do think TCU comes away with the win, and I don't think it's necessarily yeah. close on Saturday afternoon. No, I agree. Uh, you know, the difference between this and the Cheesy Bowl in 2018 is that our fourth-string quarterback is going to be firmly planted on the bench. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a huge difference, I think. There will not be anyone taking a snap with drop foot. It's true. We hope. <laughs> At least we hope. You yeah. know, you never know what can happen between now and Saturday. Uh, but only health and goodness for TCU, please Jesus. Um, so going into this can, uh, going into this Cal game, tell me who are give me one offensive player, one defensive player um, that you think are going to be kind of key to this victory for TCU. Oh, Zach Evans. Um, I, I think that again, that this defense is decent and stout against the run, but I think that Zach is really going to need to open things up for the Frogs. Um, he had some nice runs. He looked uh, like like he was being unleashed and uncaged. But he, at the end of the day, like he, you know, he didn't have a huge yards per carry average. He, it looks like they were really holding him back. Um, he didn't need to do a lot, so he didn't do a lot. And I, I think that was kind of by design. Um, playing against this Cal defense, I, I think that they're going to open things up. I think we're going to see a lot of Zach. I think he starts and he gets the bulk of the carries, and I think he has 100 yards, even against this really, really good Cal defense. And um, the only thing that will stop him from doing that is that it's going to be hard to keep Kendra Miller off the field. Uh, he was the most impressive running back by a long shot um, mm-hmm. on on Saturday night. And he, the thing I like about him is he runs cocky. Zach Evans does not run cocky. Zach Evans runs efficient, does his job, walks over to the sideline. Kendra Miller wants the smoke. And you kind of like having a dude like that on your team. Um, he just he has that attitude about him that you kind of want in your skill position players. And I think that that's good. It's he's going to get more carries than we expect because it's just hard to sit him down. He's he's too good. He's too talented. He's too pissed off most of the time. So um, I think that that one two punch is is a lot of fun, and I'm excited about it. So, but I, I think it needs to start with Zach and, and go from there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think it's hard to keep Kendra off the field. I also. You know, Patterson mentioned right after the game Saturday night and again on Tuesday that snap count was really important for Evans and Kendra Miller on Saturday. 
uh, and he was glad that neither of them got run too much. Uh, when you talk about the first afternoon game of the season against much stiffer competition, a, a team that in Cal that's really known for their run defense, uh, I totally agree that I think it, it would be foolish to say that Zach Evans is going to get 90, 95% of the carries. I think it's going to be more like 60 to 40 uh, Evans to Miller um, with maybe a little Foster and maybe a little Mercado sprinkled in because I, I think at this point, it's probably still Di Mercado that is the best pass blocking running back mm. on the team. Uh, and that's something that he has done religiously uh, and incredibly well since he stepped foot on campus uh, in 2018. So, uh, but I, I think it starts, like you said, starts with Zach and kind of works its way down. Uh, for me, I think the key player is CJ Caesar. Um, mm. When you talk about an offense that has struggled uh, like Cal, and you talk about a defense like TCU's, who is it's very stout, tends to, and we see this year after year after year, give up a big play here and there. Uh, and we know that just on Saturday night against Duquesne, uh, Caesar bit down really hard on an out and up, pretty simple route, double move route, um, that was the largest play uh, from a yardage perspective for Duquesne all night. Um Cal looks at that and says, if we can take advantage of that maybe two or three times, and then, you know, we, we get in the end zone twice, let our defense do its work. Um, I think it's really, really important, especially if Noah Daniels doesn't play. It's really important for CJ Caesar to take a step forward in his game from week one of this season. We've seen him play really well. He played incredibly well the back, I guess the last three games of the 2020 season. It wasn't the best competition in the world, but he stepped up and he did well. I think he had three interceptions in the last three games of the year last year. Uh, so we know that he's capable. We know that he's produced on the field before. It's time this Saturday. No, no more screwing around. Yeah, let's lock it in. Yeah, no, I think that's. I think those are. That's a great call too, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's get into some predictions. We've got. Uh, the other Big 12 games, and then I picked two national games for us to pick this week as well. Uh, let's jump in with Kansas traveling to number 17, Coastal Carolina, fresh off of their field storming uh, for their win over South Dakota. I am so glad they stormed the field because it might be their one win of the year. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, if Kansas goes in and beats Coastal Carolina at Coastal, Give Lance Leopold a contract extension immediately. Give him a contract extension. But no, but I, I think Coastal gets the job done. That's that's a solid program that needs to really make a statement. Uh, beating up on even a bad Power 5 team does that. So, yeah, I think Coastal rolls in that one by two scores or more. Yeah, I think Coastal, I think it's probably somewhere around like 35 to 10. Like, I don't think Kansas is, is going to have much hope in yeah. this game. Uh, next up, Oklahoma State hosts Tulsa. Tulsa team that I believe lost to Northern UC Illinois. Davis. UC Davis. Even worse. Yeah, UC Davis, not known for their football team. Known for math, I think. Mm-hmm. And sometimes and baseball. And brewery science. Ooh, nice. Really into brewery science, yeah. Awesome. Um, and baseball only for bad things recently. But yeah, Oof. but yeah, no, I think uh, Tulsa's bad. Oklahoma State gets Spencer Sanders and Co. back. Uh, they will recover from their ugly game last weekend and, and put together a statement win that reminds people that this is a team that, that's still probably a top four, maybe top five team in the Big 12. I totally agree. Spencer Sanders not playing. Shane Ellingworth did well against Missouri State. He managed Fine. the game. I mean, he threw like 300 yards. Some of that was meaningless yardage. But, you know, when you week one with your backup quarterback 
just get the win, right? Doesn't really yeah. matter. Just get the win. And Oklahoma State did that. Now they get Sanders back. I think they're going to really start clicking against an overwhelmed Tulsa team on Saturday. Um, <clears throat> arguably the biggest game in the Big 12 this Saturday is a game we've already mentioned. It's the Cyhawk game between Iowa State and Iowa. It is the first time that both teams have been ranked going into this rivalry matchup, and it is also the first time that both teams have been ranked in the top 10 going into this rivalry matchup with Iowa State at 9 and Iowa at 10. Who wins this football game? I think Iowa does, is... does does Levi need to mute right now? Um, I, I think Iowa is so overrated, um, but also they are the number 10 team in the country for some reason. Um, Iowa State has to win this game. I, I mean, they have to. Like, no excuses. Not, like, they have to win this game. I think they eke out a really close one. I think it's entertaining. I think it comes down to something crazy at the end because these games always do. But if you are going to be the number nine team in the country, you're going to host game day at your home stadium. You're going to play your biggest rival. You better freaking win this game. Um, I don't know if Levi will survive the whole weekend. We hope that he does. Um, I, I got a running diary of his drinks um, last weekend, so I can't wait to see if that continues this season. Um, I'm going to go with my heart and say Iowa State ekes out a close one, but I, ugh, this is, this is, I'd be terrified if I was a Cyclone fan right now. Taking in all of the information that we have from week one, Iowa State's struggles with Northern Iowa they win thanks to, I believe, a late turnover, 16-10. to 10. Iowa plays Indiana, handles them. It wasn't really that close. I mean, Iowa laid the hammer down on mm -hmm. Indiana in week one. I feel like all of the momentum favors the Hawkeyes. They're going in uh, to Ames. Uh, game day is going to be there. Iowa State fans are uh, going to be so, 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 so Bronk. deep underwater of bush light. Uh, like, it's, they are going to be in an ocean of bush light. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like one of those things where all of the, all of the momentum on the, on paper leans towards Iowa State. Like, all right, we want to bounce back from a bad week one performance. We're still a top 10 team. We've got game day at home against our rival. We're a top, they're a top 10 team. Let's go out and let's kick their ass. Iowa State also hasn't beaten Iowa since 2014. Let's break that streak, all this other stuff. It, it feels like on paper, like it's, it, it, if it were a movie, it would play out where Iowa State wins this football game. Um, I am very nervous about Iowa State in this game. I want Iowa state to win. I will be cheering for Iowa state on Saturday. I do think Iowa ends up winning this football game Ooh. like 24 to 21. It's going to be, like you said, it's going to be close. It's going to come down to something last minute. Uh, I hope that I have to eat crow next podcast because uh, we've lost and, or because uh, Iowa state won. And if Iowa state wins, we can bring Levi on and he can rub it in my face. Um, yeah. But I do think Iowa comes away with, with the win on Saturday. Next up. We'll see. We will see. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, next up, another vaunted matchup between West Virginia and Long Island. The Sharks. Long Island has a football team? So I here's a fun no fact idea. about Long Island. LIU, the Sharks, uh, used to have two campuses. 
they had the Long Island campus. That is their main campus. That was Division One sports. And then they had a second campus that was called, um, I believe it was called, hang on, I'm scrolling, hang on, I'm scrolling. I had this note up and then I changed my page. Um, CW Post was like a branch of Long Island University uh, and they played Division II sports. Recently, they combined both campuses, both universities, and all of the athletic department to only play Division One. So if you look at the West Virginia game on the Yahoo app, like I did, you see that they're playing someone named CW Post. It's like a, it sounds like a poet. Amazing. Um, but they are playing Long Island University. Uh, they're 0-1 after their close loss to... Um, close loss to... Uh, Maryland, um, but I think they get one to know, or they get they get the yeah. win super easy here. Good for Long Island that they have a football team. Sad for them they're going to lose on Saturday. Yeah, they're getting a paycheck. That is what it is. Um, next up is number fifteen Texas at Arkansas. Texas looked really impressive against uh, the Raging Cajuns. Um, this is an opportunity to beat a future uh, bunk mate in the SEC. How do you think Texas does against? Uh, Arkansas on Saturday. I don't care what they say about how good Arkansas looked last week, and they're bad. Um, This is a bad football team with a bad quarterback. I think Texas rolls again and again. We're just going to see them build themselves up into being a top 15 team heading into October because that's what Texas does. So, yeah, Texas is going to continue to look good for the next couple of weeks. Arkansas with the upset. You heard it here first. Kansas State against Southern Illinois. Kent State looks solid. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're great, but I think they're going to win a lot of games, um, and they're going to beat teams they're supposed to beat. Southern Illinois' team they're supposed to beat. I agree. I think that Kansas State gets that win, moves to two and zero. I think Baylor takes the win over Texas Southern as yeah. well. Um, and then let's go Texas Tech. Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, I think I think the Red Raiders mm-hmm. win. Um, they they do enough things well. Nice. Um, two national games. Pick them really quickly. Ohio State, Oregon. Who you have? I think Ohio State's a better team than Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I think Oregon is that good, though they do have some elite talent. Um, I think the Buckeyes probably pull away late for a, a double-digit win. This game is in the shoe, and that makes all the difference, I think. I think Ohio mm-hmm. State wins. Uh, and then a game that TCU fans should keep an eye on because it's a fun former Mountain West conference rivalry, the the uh, what's it called, the Religious War or something like that, the Holy War, BYU against War, yeah. Utah, BYU hosting that as well. Who do you have? Uh, I think that Utah is probably a little bit better right now. BYU played an entertaining game and, and beat an Arizona team that's not very good, kind of close. Um, so I think Utah gets, has the edge, but I think it'll be a really fun game for sure. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and with that, uh, this has been the Frogs War podcast. You can like and leave a comment and a review on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to a podcast, anywhere you consume your oral oral media pardon me um don't forget to check us out on twitter on facebook on instagram on youtube where we are posting the full games for tcu football this year you can see the full tcu duquesne game on our youtube page right now uh and obviously on i think it might have gotten taken down but oh it's up there again i checked it today it's still up there um i had to re-upload the right version Ah, there we so go. there we go. Um, and then uh, obviously all of the good stuff on frogsaward.com written by our excellent writing staff. And with that, we're looking forward to TCU beating Cal on Saturday afternoon at the Carter. Uh, I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treewasser. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.